Welcome everyone to Sport Tech Daily's episode with Gustav, who's a uh, cricketing analyst from over in South Africa. Thanks for coming on, firstly. Ah, thank you very much for having me on. No worries at all. Um, look, as always, we'll get started off with yourself. So can you tell us a bit more about your background? Sure. Uh, well, my current career is I'm, I'm essentially an academic uh, by trade. Um, I head up a, a small academic unit at Stellenbosch University here in South Africa uh, called the Center for Sport Leadership. And it's positioned within the sports office um, at, at Stellenbosch University. Um, I have a PhD in history uh, with a research focus on mostly the intersection between politics and sport. Uh, historically, in, in the case of South Africa, uh, originally uh, I obtained a mathematics degree um, and, and my career trajectory has always uh, included sport. So my first job was in a commercial sports setting, which was uh, one of Stellenbosch University's spin-off companies, the Sport Performance Institute at the time. That was around 2007. Um, I was involved with them for about five years uh, where they set about trying to commercialize some of the university's sports assets by getting professional teams to train there. So that was kind of my first exposure to the, to the sports environment. After that, I transitioned into academia formally um, when I took on my PhD in around 2012. Um, and since then, I've kind of followed a more traditional academic pathway to get me where I am now. Um, but obviously, the cricket and analytical stuff is, is, is something that's developed on the side. Yeah, awesome. So how did you, uh, I guess, first come up with uh, 12th Man Analytics? Uh, well, yeah, so, the, uh, so at the moment, 12th Man Analytics is a small data consultancy that, that I co-founded with my colleague, uh, Sean Reeder. Uh, who's a South African based in the Netherlands. Um, and how it came about uh, was, essentially it started out on social media. I started a, a sort of, a, as a hobby, a, a small podcast um, where I looked at uh, cricketing prospects in, in South Africa, young players sort of below the surface in the sort of uh, deeper parts of the domestic system. And I tried to take a more, slightly more quantitative look at them, uh, trying to assess them. It was a little bit done on the sort of the American model where, where prospect analysis is so, um, so excellent, uh, especially in, uh, I'm talking about baseball specifically. Yeah. And so I started out as a sort of a small little one-man band podcast. Um, and then Sean sort of got all of that on, on social media and contacted me and, and initially started providing some, some data um, for the podcast. So I could use some of that uh, in a more structured way. Um, to talk about these players uh, and then things went from there we were then at one stage contacted by um, the head of the selectors at the Knights franchise which is sort of the central reason uh, region in in South Africa and so for one season we uh, sort of started helping them on a essentially a pro bono basis not in a formalized uh, sort of company structure or, or consulting structure um, but it was kind of our first in into the sort of cricket environment um, and we did that for one season, uh, that was the 2018-19 the season, so it's quite recent, uh, two domestic seasons ago. Um, and things sort of went from there. Um, after the season, we then got an opportunity to, to interact with the Dolphins uh, on the East Coast in, in South Africa from the KwaZulu-Natal region. Um, and uh, we, we had a more formal arrangement with them. We, I mean, essentially, we approached um the t20 teams in south africa so you're obviously aware of them zanzi super league which is which is like south africa's version of the big bash um that was going into its second season last year in 2019 so sort of halfway through the year in, in the cricketing off season mm. uh, we started uh, approaching the the various t20 teams um the knights at that stage uh did not have a t20 team in this competition and we were quite keen to get into the t20 space uh, due to the obviously due to the growth potential there, yeah. um, and so the so the Dolphins <clears throat> was the one team that uh, that got back to us actually, um, and we started having a discussion with them. 
<clears throat> sorry, and then um, and so then the, the the relationship grew from there. So we helped them in this pre previous domestic season now, and the Durban Heat, which is the T20 team based there, is essentially managed by uh, the same management group that that manages Queensland Natal cricket uh, or Dolphins cricket. Um, and so we have sort of an umbrella relationship with them, where we help them with with you know player analysis, decision making. Um, etc. And that's where we are now. And so as part of that process, Sean and myself then decided to actually formalize the, the consultancy into 12th Man Analytics. Um, that was just a name which we sort of organically came up with. Uh, we thought that, you know, people always talk about the crowd being the 12th man, but we think, well, in a cricketing context, uh, you know, hopefully the sort of data analysis that we provide can also somehow be a 12th man and, 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 and put teams maybe a little bit over the edge uh, in terms of the competition. So, um, so that's where we are at this point. Yeah. Excellent. All right. And um, does your work in academia, I guess, um, does that assist you with this at all? Is it related to sport still or what are you involved with over there? I mean, at the moment, as I said, I head up the Centre for Sport Leadership. So, so that's a small academic unit that basically uh, looks at uh, providing leadership opportunities to student athletes in, in sport at Stanimos University. So that's the one arm. And the other arm is a research arm, which is where we're trying to be a thought leader on key issues in South African sports. So that relates more to, to social issues. At this point, my own research, as I said, has focused up to this point uh, in terms of the history of sports and politics in, in you know, this complex uh, historical pathway that, that South Africa is still on, essentially. Um, so at the moment, it hasn't directly, my academic work hasn't directly played into, uh, into the 12th minute analytics work. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually looking to do some more formal research in the, in the data space or at least start getting people involved. Um, other younger researchers that, that want to go into that space. I think there's a lot of room for good work to be done in, in the South African space, um, particularly within, within cricket. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, an area like football, I think also has a lot of potential. I mean, with the South African economy essentially really struggling, the, some of the codes are also under a lot of pressure, like rugby and cricket, for example, or two of them. Uh, my perception, at least, is that football is on a more firm uh, financial footing um, at this point. Um, so I think there's room potentially for teams to to start spending in that area. Um, but I haven't. I'm not really aware of uh, of anything uh, analytically being done as it is currently in Europe. Uh, you know, in terms of looking at expected goals and th and things like that. So that's kind of that 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 space. But I mean, I'm obviously focusing on the cricket at this point. Um, you know, having been a cricket fan essentially all my life, and also having a huge interest in baseball uh, in, in, in America. And so, you know, the way we kind of approach the analysis is, is some, some of that is informed by my uh, following of, of, of Major League Baseball. Um, yeah, so, but, but in terms of the academic link, I, I do think being in academia, it, it obviously helps you to think very analytically, um, you know, in terms of following processes, how to tackle problems. So I think sort of that some of the underlying elements, certainly uh, I, I think being in academia does, does help me in, in that regard. Excellent. All right. Um, and how do you, you know, in terms of your following of, of cricket in South Africa and, and the global game, how do you think, uh, I guess, the respect shown towards data and tech has evolved during that time? Yeah, I mean, as I say, I mean, we've really only been involved in this space for about two years. So, so we're kind of still, st still new on the block. But <clears throat> what I can say is we find, especially with... Uh, with an entity like Cricket South Africa or Cricket in South Africa, once you start moving in the, in the sort of coaching and administrative circles, in, initially it, it tends to be a sort of a closed system. You have the same sort of people moving around, being appointed in different roles. And I think that's just sort of a natural outcome. I think that's sort of 
the same for most coaching structure. I mean, if you just take the the sort of film Moneyball, it kind of you know really portrays that sort of that, that element in a, in a slightly negative light. Obviously, the the sort of establishment scouts and and the way things work. But I think that that just tends to be the, the main characteristic of some of these organizations is that they have a certain way of doing things. And, you know, the type of data analysis that we do and that that's becoming more prevalent globally is still a fairly new, in South Africa, it's, I think it's still fairly new. Um, and whenever that you're dealing with something new and uncertain, you might be a little bit more reluctant to actually dip into it and you might not also initially see the value. Um, so, you know, my perception was always that it's kind of a hard inner circle to kind of crack yeah. um, initially. But once you've, you know, uh, uh, and I mean, obviously the Knights played a role in that in terms of allowing us into that space for the first time um, uh, and, and and sort of starting to build up some links. And I think once you kind of make that initial break breakthrough um, and you have a little bit of a track record, then things start to become easier. Um, and we're obviously trying to, trying to build our relationship with the Dolphins at, at this point, but we're also, you know, hoping to expand uh, beyond the borders of South Africa if, if those opportunities uh, present themselves down the line. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well, I was actually going to ask you because, um, you know, I spoke to Sean, your, your colleague, last week. And I also spoke to a guy, Ed, uh, who's one of the cricket analysts over, you know, that used Twitter quite a bit over in the UK. Um, and, and over in Australia, obviously, we've got a, a whole heap of sporting codes and, and the issue of sort of data privacy and, and sort of access to data is quite common. So I guess for, for anyone that's looking to get involved in, in sport analytics, you know, from a from a fan point of view, uh, where are a couple of the places to get started from access to data point of view? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, we essentially uh, our database is, is constructed from sort of publicly available data on Crick Info uh, in terms of match data. I mean, we do not do complex predictive modeling. We are not rocket scientists as such. I mean, I think in the American case, they are so advanced there where teams are literally appointing you know physicists and, and rocket scientists to really uh, do these complex projection models because they have these massive data sets um, that they also internally generate, um, not only the publicly available stuff. Um, so I think the sort of the level that we're operating at is a bit different in, in South Africa, at least. Um, I mean, I know my understanding is that sort of the guys from Crick Viz has access to Hawkeye data. And I think there's obviously a lot of potential. I think there's a lot of growth that can be uh, still pursued in the cricketing realm. Uh, I mean, we essentially used uh, the data of Crick Info and what we're able to do is to segment um, match, match data. So we can tell, you know, teams how they're doing in the power play. We can look at individual bowlers. Um, performing in certain phases against certain types. So it's not, uh, it's not rocket science as such, but I think our strength lies in sort of the, the actual interpretive element of, of the data and also communicating that into a usable form. I think that's where kind of our, our strengths are um, and, and the teams that we've worked with have, have enjoyed that aspect. But in terms of advising a fan, I mean, I would say, I mean, essentially how, how we started is we just started some putting, putting some content out into, into a public space, into the public domain, like on social media. And I see that's the sort of suggestion that's often made in the, in the American context as well, where um, people who are looking to get into the analytical space who are looking to work for teams are encouraged to create their own content and to kind of build up the track record um, of their own accord. And then you have something to stand on and something to show a potential interviewer if, you, if you're looking to be employed by a team. Um, otherwise, the other route is obviously to, to, to create something yourself, which is essentially what we've done. Um, so, I mean, we, we, as I said, I mean, we don't really use the, the sort of complex, you know, Hawkeye or anything like that. Those things are difficult to obtain. Those, those aren't really, you know, that's not that publicly available. So I think that is a challenge. Um, but I think what we are able to do with, with what we have, I think is still 
you know, fairly significant um, and, and, and can be used uh, within the coaching space, which, which I think there's still a need and, and an area for growth. Yeah, excellent. All right. Um, and I think you, you always alluded to it there, but uh, what I was going to ask in terms of the tools and uh, in terms of the types of modeling or analysis, Sean did mention it's predominantly Excel, but um, what do you tend to usually use? Yeah, I mean, so essentially Sean is responsible for, for compiling, for managing our database. Um, and I mean, we present some of this stuff in, 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 I mean, in, in Excel internally to ourselves. And then what I do is I put that into report form into like, I build the narrative around that. Um, and, and then we provide that to the team. So, um, so again, I mean, we use, I mean, we use uh, Power BI is kind of a sort of a graphic software that we use to, 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 to do some um, sort of graphic displays or to communicate it visually. Um, so we'll sometimes, you know, just basic graphs and things that we present to teams just to kind of plot, you know, sort of, I don't know, like death economy and death, you know, boundary hitting or wicket taking or whatever on, on different axes. And we would kind of explain that th those things are quite useful when you're looking at obviously a, 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 an entire pool of players. So for the Mzanzi Super League, the T20, we can sort of do plots for certain types of bowlers in certain phases. Um, and visually, I think that's quite powerful to teams to be able to see, okay, well, these guys are lying over here and there and they're in the wrong quadrant and, and these are the ones that we shouldn't be targeting, those kind of things. So, um, so yeah, again, so it's not, you know, so from my personal perspective, uh, you know, I'm not really using very complex data software or anything like that. Um, yeah. I'm focusing more on the interpretive and presentation element. Yeah, excellent. All right. Um, and I think it's a question that gets, you know, asked quite often, but if someone's looking to get into sport analytics, you know, I've been speaking to people on, you know, on, on these videos for Sport Tech Daily that are coming in for a PhD in sport or performance analytics. I've been speaking to people that are sporting fans that have picked up some Excel and, and sort of, you know, developed their skills that way. Or people that are sort of, you know, statistics background that, that are also interested in sport. So there's a whole heap of areas, you know, that you could potentially come from to get involved in this space. But what advice would you give for, for someone that's just getting started? Obviously, we're from Australia and you're living in South Africa. We're in two different bubbles. You know, uh, what, what advice would you give in terms of resources or podcasts, et cetera, to, to get started? Yeah, well, I think that's that kind of links to what I said a little bit earlier around just, um, you know, putting some content out there, like take the initiative. Um, if you have an idea, if you have something to pursue, I mean, usually the first starting point is you have to be passionate about it. But I mean, I think people that, that want to move into the analytics space, that usually is the case. Um, so kind of follow that passion and try and uh, create some of your own content, whatever, you know, whichever way you're more comfortable with or whatever fits your skill set, um, whether that's a podcast or whether that's just writing sort of short, concise analytical articles on, on a website. Um, I mean, the tools are really out there. I mean, over the last sort of 10, 15 years, it's, it's so easy to kind of start your own, own, own website. You know, there's a lot of sort of free software out there. So there's really no, no barrier to entry, I think, at least initially, in terms of getting content out on social media. And then you use social media to kind of amplify that um, and, and take it from there. I mean, that's essentially the route that, that we've taken. Um, I think one has to take ownership of your own sort of pathway because, as I said, you know, teams or organizations still tend to be a little bit reluctant or you have to kind of prod them uh, to, to make that sort of breakthrough. It's, it's unlikely that it's just going to sort of, you know, fall from the sky. Um, and you have to sort of show that you can differentiate yourself from, from other people in, in the space um, and, and, and try and play to your own strengths. So, yeah, I think that's what my basic advice would be. Yeah, excellent. Um, and, you know, you're, you're saying your background is obviously in that sort of cross um, area between, uh, between sport and, and history. 
what do you think about the state of cricket in South Africa at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, the first word that comes to mind is transition. Um, so we've obviously had a couple of really high-level players that have that have retired or at least are not available. So someone like Abi de Villiers, who, you know, we'll have to see what happens with the COVID-19 situation. But I mean, with the T20 World Cup scheduled later this year, the, the question was sort of, is he going to come out of retirement to kind of help out? But that would be sort of a patchwork solution, um, you know, to, to just a high-profile short-term tournament that you'd want to do as well as possible. Um, I think we're on a little bit of a, yeah, I mean, we, we have to try and build going forward. Um, there's a lot of debate around the domestic structure, whether that's effective. Um, I mean, this past domestic season now was the first time that basically all the players were were free agents because um, because originally the plan was to change the domestic structure. Uh, we currently have the six franchises, obviously. Um, but now with Graham Smith having come on board as as director, sort of uh, first director of cricket, um, sort of someone with a bird's eye view, um, you know, there's been subsequent discussions and a lot of sort of boardroom uh, shuffles, um, and it, it looks like the structure will still remain the same for 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 this next season coming now. So there was a lot of movement between different players. So I think the structure is an is an issue. Um, <clears throat> um yeah, so I, I'm sort of. Partially positive, um, but I think there's a lot of work to be done to get South Africa out of this out of this this hole. I mean, we struggled in the home domestic season. Um, I think, yeah. fortunately for for the current coaching staff, they've managed to finish off the 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 sort of uh, home season with with the ODI series victory over Australia, which which was quite surprising. <laughs> but I think it was yeah. much needed because I mean, the, the, even the media are very impatient. So um, you know, and I think there's some elements of the media that even want the current sort of coaching staff, so they're sort of eagerly awaiting for them to fail. I sort of picked that up in a couple of quarters. That's just sort of my interpretation. Um, and so I think that it was much needed to uh, to sort of finish the season on a, on a slight high. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult period. Um, I mean, the economics of it is also tricky. Um, you know, domestic, you know, a lot of damage has been done over the last sort of couple of years with, with the boardroom issues. And then also the, the viewing is just sort of, has obviously precipitously dropped, um, you know, as has been the trend in a lot of areas worldwide. I mean, I think even Australia struggles with attendance, not necessarily in the Big Bash, but like in, in the other domestic competitions. So there's not really a big appetite for it. And that, you know, has an impact on sponsors, you know, how, how willing are they to get on board? Um, so I think there's a really tricky sort of economic situation that South Africa cricket finds itself in. And then you couple that with sort of the issues around the domestic structure, etc. I mean, where we are fortunate is we do have these elite schools that keep producing sort of the bulk of the talent. Um, you know, so that's almost, it's a weird situation in South Africa um, where the the school system is almost a quasi-academy structure for for, for, for cricket. Um, you know, and, and, and one can argue whether that's the ideal situation. I mean, that's kind of something that's evolved over time historically. Uh, and obviously, some players do come from sort of um, do not come through those traditional schools and one, one must not ignore them. And, and Cricket South Africa is obviously trying to throw its net as wide as possible. But the reality is that these, these well-resourced schools um, are not going to stop liking cricket or throwing resources at it or, you know, appointing good coaches. And I think indirectly that's a good thing in terms of that at that under-19 level, you are going to churn out enough talented players. The question then becomes, how do they integrate into the domestic structure yeah. and what kind of coaching setups do they enter after that? And I think, and, and, and I think that's an area that Cricket South Africa has control over and that needs to be, needs to be improved to, to sort of turn the ship around. Right, because that's definitely an issue in Australia. You know, we've got, similar to South Africa, a, a huge base of talented young athletes coming through. I think in Australia, the real problem is, and I was just reading an article on Twitter about this today, but 
in terms of the amount of sporting codes that we have. So we've got, obviously we've got cricket, we've got rugby league, rugby union, Australian rules football, you know, A-league, football, soccer. So that that's five and, and that's not, you know, even bothering to think about all the others. So the, the I guess the, um, the dilution of the sporting pool, that's an issue. Is that an issue in South Africa as well? I wouldn't say I wouldn't say dilution is necessarily such a big problem. We, I mean, in, in South Africa, the I mean, the three big team sports have traditionally been the well-resourced ones. So that's obviously football, uh, rugby, and cricket. Um, as I said a bit earlier, I think football is is because it's got this massive sort of working class support base. Um, I think it's and there are bigger sponsors that are more keen to be involved in in football. They're on a firmer financial footing, even though ironically the South African national team has really, you know, since the early 2000s been sort of just gradually declining and, and it's not really, it's not really on the forefront of the sort of nation building debate. I mean, in, in the South African case, obviously in the 90s, the, you know, the sports teams were very much used as a metaphor and a, and a vehicle to try and sort of build this cohesive society, given its divided history. Uh, and football was, you know, right on the forefront of that, but it's been kind of noticeable how that's moved to the side. Um, rugby has been through some up and downs in the last sort of 10 years. Uh, it's now on a real high because they've, you know, appointed someone with a real clear vision. You know, Rashi Erasmus uh, is kind of seen as this guru of, you know, having having turned around South African rugby. Now, obviously, he has a lot of talented and capable people around him as well. So, there's always an issue over how much of an impact is down to just one person. Mm. But, I mean, um, you know, the rugby has been a real, uh, you know, been on a real high the last year, having won the World Cup last year. Where cricket is the one that's, you know, it's got the sort of on-field issue where the performance has dropped off, very disappointing World Cup campaign last year. Um, and it's got the economic challenge. Um, but in right. terms of the dilution, those are the three, but those are the three sort of main... I would say, well, those are the three only real team sports where you can actually make a professional career as a sports person, uh, right. realistically, in the South African case. Um, is the lure of um, the T20 competitions a big one in South Africa for all the young young athletes coming through as well? I mean, I think having spoken to some people, I, I do think, I mean, it is obviously a lure for, for those already in the professional ranks and that have aspirations and that, that regard themselves as potentially good enough. It certainly is a lure. I mean, like it is for for you know, probably most cricketers around the world. So, so, so you have to kind of manage, uh, but I mean, it's, you know, the IPL has become so big that, you know, the international calendar is essentially being managed around it anyway. And, and South Africa have to make, like an example was, you know, before the World Cup last year, um, I mean, Fafti Plessis, the captain, was still in the IPL right until the very end and actually only got back about a week before South Africa went to the UK. So, um, and then we had the additional problem where a lot of the, uh, our bowling options were, were injured during uh, or just before the IPL as a result of the, of the workload. Um, so, uh, so South Africa, you know, is not really in a position to argue with, with the IPL and, and has to kind of structure its preparation around that. So I think that's one issue. I think at a lower level, there's a question of whether there's maybe too much of a focus on T20 in schools cricket. I'm not quite sure about that. I've heard some some musings in in that line, um, and I think that's one that has that's something that one has to be careful about. But T20 just obviously again logistically, it's easier to organise competitions because it's shorter. It's the probably the most, for some people for the sort of casual fan, it's the most exciting version of of the game. Um, so I do think that there are probably youngsters setting out even you know at age group level if they are really talented, um, you know, with with the T20 sort of pathway. In, in, in mind, um, right. you know, and, and so, so I think that is an, a, a, a very significant variable in, in this whole, on this playing field. 
Right. Okay. And look, to finish off with, I love asking this question. Um, if you, I guess with your background, you know, you've got politics, you've got sport, you're obviously we've spoken about cricket quite a bit. If you had to choose one sporting team or, or a player and uh, you had to solve a problem for them with your technical background, who would it be and, and what would it be? Uh, that's quite an interesting question. Uh, I would actually go for for World Challengers Bangalore uh, RCB in, in the IPL, right. um, and you know I think the the fundamental reason is that they they sort of well to me at least represent this uh, sort of conundrum. Um, they've had so much high end star power talent. You know, obviously being led by Pirat Kohli and and AB de Villiers has been there for a long time. Previously at Chris Gale, so they kind of have this perception of having this real high level this group of high level. Uh, impact players yeah. but the results haven't really backed that up and then sort of the, the question is why have they struggled so much in recent years especially um you know towards the bottom end of, of, of the ipl ladder and i think that's a nice problem to try and solve and and you know and sean and myself interestingly we're actually planning to to release a little bit of sort of publicly available content on our on our website um, where we do a bit of a statistical dive into rcb yeah. Um, to, we, well, the plan was to try and sort of take people through the process of how we would approach a, a setup, um, you know, what elements would be analyzed to try and assess where they are at the moment, where they've been historically, and also with an eye on whether they've solved, potentially solved this in the in the most recent IPL auction. Now, obviously, the status of the IPL is, is unfortunately up for, you know, you know, you know it's, it's, it's questionable whether this will even go ahead. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, whether that is the case or not, I think it's still an interesting question to, to, to look at, um, to see right. whether some of the changes they've made recently would, would play out um, in, in real life. And then one can, if the IPL takes place, we'll, we'll kind of get a better sense of that. Um, so yeah, I would probably go for RCB. Yeah, definitely. That's super interesting. I very much look forward to, to seeing that article. Um, is that on the, on the website that that will come out or? Or do you yeah, it's on 12 Man Analytics. So that's just www.12man-analytics.com. So, um, so we're looking to put that out there. Excellent. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Gustav. Super interesting. Uh, just like the conversation with Sean, really appreciate your time. Um, and we'll definitely stay connected via the site and uh, yeah, going forward as well. Yeah, no, thank you very much for, for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation and I'm, I'm sure we'll be in, in, in contact again in future. Excellent. Thanks a lot. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to check out more of our content, go to sporttechdaily.com or follow us on social media across Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram.